What's cracking, lovely people? It's a big feed up HQ podcast. If you're a new listener to the show, this is season two, episode four. So go on back into season one. Tons of interesting interviews, conversations. I usually uh, release longer form chats on a Monday, so they can be nutrition related, exercise related, performance related. And then sometimes on a Friday, I do a solo show, so I might review what I've done during the week. Very simple stuff, and yeah, I hope you like it. So today, I've got a really interesting practitioner on the show. It's the first time that I've got a functional medicine practitioner, and his name is Alex Manos. How are you doing, Alex? I'm very well, Matt. How are you? Really, really good. It's, it's, it's absolutely fab to have you on because um, I'm, a, I'm a fan of your podcast, and um, yeah, I'm a fan of just some of your infographics and the detail that you go into, so it'll be nice to kind of pick apart some of your tools and tactics today and, and hear a little bit more about, about what you do. Yeah, no, I'm looking forward to it. Cool. So, yeah, I think just let the listeners know straight off the bat what, what a functional pre- um, med, um, medicine practitioner does, basically, or, or how you got how you kind of got into that and, and kind of combine that with, with nutrition and coaching. Sure. Do you want the short or the long answer? <laughs> I don't know. Well, that's the thing, I think, because obviously um, you might have been on a few shows before and, and you know, you, you maybe have, have recounted some of this. I think, yeah, just your own... Your, your own your own kind of way of, of, of letting people know how you did it and um, I think you can go into as much detail as you like yeah okay so yeah actually this is the only the third ever podcast that I've done so it's been a while and I'm, I'm used to being on the uh, the other side of the fence so to speak ah right but, okay yeah my yeah my journey into this was as is often the case my own health issues ultimately so from a very young age I really struggled with eczema um, I then sort of had a, a plague of injuries from probably 14 years through to about 18 years old. And when I was 18, I was diagnosed with irritable bowel syndrome. And, and to cut a long story short, was told it's probably something I'm going to have to live with for the rest of my life. I think from memory, I was given some peppermint oil capsules and was told, you know, just to kind of get on with it ultimately. Um, I questioned it at the time. I started doing my own research and it's interesting looking back that obviously back then there was no social media either. So this was really through finding books and Mm. going to the library almost and things like this. Mm. But I found eventually a book by Patrick Holford um, and it was his digestive uh, book basically on on healing gut health. And I followed it to the letter. Um, and just had a drastic improvement in IBS to the point of essentially being completely symptom-free. So that really opened the door, and I haven't really looked back since. So I, as soon as I had done that, I actually signed up with the Institute for Optimum Nutrition, which is in London, mm. qualified over three years in nutritional therapy. Um, within that time, qualified as a personal trainer, and then went on to do my degree and then get my master's and then certify with the Institute for Functional Medicine out in the States, um, which I guess brings us to today, which is Mm. as a a functional medicine practitioner with a background in nutritional therapy and personal training, Mm. um, and currently going through a a life coaching diploma to sort of be able to support clients from a a behavioral perspective as well, really. Mm. So functional medicine, I think, combines all of that to some degree. I mean, if you go and do some Googling around functional medicine, you'll often find explanations or descriptions around how it's root cause medicine, this idea that it's trying to understand why someone has the symptoms that Mm. they are experiencing. So we can actually intervene through either lifestyle strategies or when needed through medical strategies to support that client or individual improve their health. Um, so there are different terms for it. I actually think it's very compatible with just the idea of lifestyle medicine. Um, so yes, we're trying to understand what's contributing to symptoms, but we also sometimes can't find that. So obviously we have testing available to us, but I actually like this idea and it's a nice way in today's topic of resilience, which is sometimes just by focusing on improving our resilience, we will improve a specific condition and restore balance to an underlying issue that we may or may not fully understand. Mm. 
So I actually really enjoy the what Dr. Tom O'Brien talks about, the 30,000-foot view. Um, so I'm a big-picture guy uh, these days rather than getting into necessarily the, the micro-analysis of test data and, and where you can go. And I think sometimes it's, it's the more important part I think one of the things I see in clinic is people getting lost in, in all the data, you know, the, the biohacking sort of world these days, yeah. um, which, can be, which can be interesting, but it just overwhelms people, I think, more often than not. And if we can take this broader understanding of what resilience is and what are the things that we can do to improve our resilience, then actually we've got some really simple strategies that we can start to put into place that over a period of time, if we can be consistent with those strategies, then more times are not going to lead to improvements. Mm. And I think it's interesting, especially from your training, because you develop that that ability to kind of build a roadmap with people. So <clears throat> obviously through your training in nutritional therapy and, and functional medicine, it's all about sitting down and engaging with that individual. And I think it's interesting because, like you said, there's so much information out there at the moment. People are viewing things, scrolling through things. But when you take the time to sit in front of someone or, or, or sit over Skype and, like you said, you pick apart the, maybe the last few years or you look back, um, it is it is often that kind of eye-opening moment rather than a, oh, look, this blood test shows this or oh, your food diary shows that. So it's, uh, yeah, the one-on-one approach is is incredibly powerful i know it's not for everyone people can't always spend the money but then um yeah i think like you said when when people do take the time to invest in someone like yourself i think everyone expects it to be all bells and whistles but actually the 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 like like we spoke about before we started recording the why before the how often we we tease that out from people and then i think it's uh the, the value is then shown through that um more often definitely you know i think one of the main reasons why I want to do the life coaching aspect of things is, is partly around that, I think. You know, it's most of us know at least some of what we should and shouldn't be doing more or less of. Mm. And we still struggle to make those changes. So, and that often comes back to our, our beliefs and assumptions that we're making, um, sometimes a lack of information. But I think what you say there is really important and definitely one of the most consistent things I see in clinic, which is actually one of the most powerful ways for us to change, I think, is to actually understand and connect the dots of our past, essentially. Mm. Understanding that, you know, being a a C-section baby or being bottle-fed or having several courses of antibiotics through your life the fact that chronic stress, sleep can all influence our microbiome. Mm. If you then have someone who's 35 years old who, who doesn't understand these things yet, then just that knowledge can be quite empowering because mm. then you start to say, okay, well, actually, I now understand a little bit about my health journey and I now understand some of the things that I need to put into place to restore health to my gut. Mm. Um, so I think that that level of understanding in itself is very therapeutic often. Mm-hmm. And is that where you, you know, when, you, when you're trying to build someone's resilience, if we, if we use that term, is that, is that where you tend to start? Obviously, you take a, a quite detailed case history, you engage with the individual, and then, and then do, you, do you then have that conversation around, like, look, you know, when, when you're eating food, how, how are you feeling and, and, and how's your stomach feeling on, you know, on, its most, on its most basic sense? Do you tend to make clients aware of that more or are you getting some coming in and 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 almost saying like look I'm, I'm eating foods and I'm doing things and it's not quite sitting with me very well how, how does how does that work um excuse me a lot of clients coming to see me have been struggling with their symptoms for an incredibly long time um have often seen other practitioners and I think it's got to the point where they're almost seeking a new strategy because of Mm. the number of different strategies they've tried. So I think sometimes it's a little bit different because then you do start to go down the path of of maybe doing some functional lab testing to have a look under the hood, as I describe it as, about what's going on. Um, Because, you know, they've tried certain diets or they've tried certain supplements and they've had very little success there. So I think that's the time when you go, okay, we need a little bit more information about what's going on. But in regards to resilience, 
I think that's probably a conversation that I have with clients later in the journey. Mm. Or certainly when I start to think that maybe there's a, a chronic stress or anxiety component to something that's going on. And I think when we are on the topic of resilience, it's probably useful to, again, take a step back and look at the broader perspective. So I think to understand resilience, there is there are a few sort of terms that are worth just highlighting. And they include allostasis, allostatic load, vulnerability, and resilience. So all four terms for me are very interconnected. Mm. And you can't touch on one without touching on the others to some degree. So, if we think of allostasis really quickly, allostasis, I sort of say, is partnering crime with homeostasis. So many of us, even going back to our school days, appreciate that homeostasis is this idea of having a set point, basically. Mm. But allostasis is the idea that we need to be able to adapt, we need flexibility to be able to remain stable physiologically. So actually a really nice quote in the research is allostasis refers to the process whereby an organism maintains physiological stability by changing parameters of its internal milieu by matching them appropriately to environmental demands. So what we're saying here is that physiologically we're going to adapt to the environment that we're in Mm. to maintain function and performance so the easiest example would just be we go into a stressful situation cortisol and other stress hormones increase in production so we have that sort of mini fight or flight response but then post stressful experience everything should normalize and we return to the set point so we've adapted internally to our external environment now, that's all very well and good, and that's essential for, for functioning, for health, for performance, for longevity, for survival. But the more those allostatic mechanisms are utilized, the more wear and tear there is on our physiological processes. And eventually that can lead to allostatic loads, what some people term allostatic overloads, mm. which is wear and tear on physiology. So we get to a point where our stress response, for example, um, is maladapted. It's either particularly acute and we have an inappropriate stress response to a perceived stress, or it's inadequate and that's what some people might call adrenal fatigue or burnout, Mm. essentially where that stress system, again, is maladaptive, but more in a, a suppressed way than a an excessive way, shall we say. Mm. So allostasis is something we need to maintain to have resilience. Mm. We can't be resilient if we can't adapt to the environment that we're in or under. Mm. Does that make sense? Yeah, of course. But then like you said, it's that <clears throat> it's that kind of chronic, not usage, but like you said, the individual's going through quite a lot. The system's trying to bring it back to that set point, like you said, but then obviously it's... Uh, <clears throat> it's like you're using something and it's and it's d- not diminishing but there are consequences in a way yeah and i think it is it's overuse and it is diminishing um that's certainly one of the theories around this so the more you're asking those allostatic mechanisms to be employed as it were the more wear and tear you'll accumulate until you hit that allostatic loads And we know in the research that I actually sometimes use this term allostatic overload to describe when that set point has been recalibrated. Mm. And this is discussed in the research whereby if we continue using sort of the stress system as our example, the stress system will recalibrate itself. So maybe an example of this could be post-traumatic stress disorder, for example, whereby that person's stress system is now at a new set point Mm. and interesting the body will now defend that new set point because that's the new homeostasis so the car backfires and they have that inappropriate stress response Mm. so not only now do we have a 
different physiological set point where certain stress hormones or neurotransmitters might be chronically high or chronically low. But we now have definitely lost resilience because we are not adapting appropriately to the environment that we're in. Mm-hmm. So it's this accumulative wear and tear on physiology, which I think is part of what's going on when we have various types of chronic symptom. And resilience we can use in very specific ways, or we can use it from this slightly more, I guess, broader perspective. Because again, there's research showing us that a resilient microbiome, a resilient digestive system, is one that has diversity in its bacteria. So, you know, we have this idea we've got trillions of bacteria in the large intestine and we want as much diversity as possible. But if we start to lose that diversity, we start to lose resilience. Mm. So the more diverse the microbiome, the less impact there is on any perturbation. So a round of antibiotics, for example, has less impact on a, Mm. a microbiome that's diverse than one that's lacking. So that would be, uh, I guess, a more specific example of this form of resilience. And then obviously there's a conversation to be had around well, what makes a resilient, diverse microbiome. Yeah, and I think I think the good thing is with, with podcasts and things like that, within the last few minutes of you talking, people can pause, reverse, go back through, which is really good. <laughs> but I think you nailed, it, <clears throat> you nailed it on the head. It's the, it is the impact and and I think that's something that people can bring forward because, like you said, if you can if you can build up a, a diverse gut, and we might talk about that in a moment, and 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 if you can adapt and 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 you know have have good habits and 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 you know lead, lead a certain lifestyle and, and push that lifestyle medicine piece around movement, sunlight, nutrition, all the things we might go into, it's it's almost like taking those things and understanding the load will come. But then, like you said, we have a set point and then and then we can we can almost kind of dampen the impact um, because we know these things might come. Like you said, antibiotics, you might pick up an infection or um, you, you, something might happen at work where you take on more load or uh, you just had a young family. So you tick every other box, but you only get two hours sleep a night because you're up. So th- those are the things I think I quite like that because you can, um, you know, you can you can start focusing on that impact and it's and it's quite positive. You think, okay, I know this is going to happen, but how can I how can I build my my um, you know my stores and how can I how can I kind of dampen the the storm to come? Really, I think I quite like that. Yeah, no, definitely, and you know what you said there is perfect because resilience is just a buffer. Yeah, it's a buffer to the the stresses of the modern world, basically. So when we're talking about building resilience, we are. We're talking about building a buffer to the stresses that are just unavoidable. Mm. Um, and some, you know, we, we might long for, as you mentioned, sort of having young kids, for example. Yeah. That's a, a tough time at times. Um, and the more we can build that resilience and be able to adapt physiologically to that environment, the better. Mm. And the great news is there are loads of things that can be considered to improve our resilience and maintain that flexibility and physiology yes um and maybe before we dive into some of that it's worth highlighting that our behavior or our behavioral response to stress is possibly the the most important part of this because if you if you are under stress and therefore your allostatic load is a little bit higher, the way you behaviorally respond to that stress is either going to exacerbate that allostatic load, i.e. add to the wear and tear on your physiology, Mm. or it's going to help buffer it. So someone might smoke when they're stressed, Mm. and that is not going to be something that is going to help buffer the stress response. Mm. So then again, that's another reason why I'm just more and more interested in the behavioral side of things, because if we can bring a little bit of awareness to stressful experiences, we can start to make better decisions in the moment about how we respond to the stress, Mm. Mm. if that makes sense. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. And then obviously, you know, what we do is we, we might focus on more more food first in a lot of cases because of what we do. But then, like you said, it's uh, yeah, it's almost having it's having a bit of um, 
it's having something to, to, to fall back on or tools and tactics or also, like you said, understanding situations where if you used to lean towards X when you were stressed, you know, if you lean maybe slightly the other way, it's that it's that dampening, that impact and having that, you know, that flexibility. So it's, um, yeah, no, that's really interesting. I think that's a good example. And I think you've you've managed to break down quite complex terms and and allow allow you know the listeners and things to to start to to understand that and then also just reflect too like you said because it's all we're all making choices and and our days will unfold and things will happen but it's those little tiny actions that then add up like you said if you are someone who's trying to reduce um if you're going out for for drinks and 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 you're smoking with it it's those situations and those choices that might you know, that might end up allowing you to, to kind of become more resilient in a way rather than push you further and, and make you feel worse. Yeah, definitely. That's a really good point. And actually, there was a quote I found this morning um, sort of defining resilience, and it was just to remain in charge of our lives, mm. which I thought was nice and simple, but actually really sort of powerful as well. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Because we, you know, we get pulled in, in, in lots of different directions and, and obviously people that are off to work and, and they're in teams of, of people. And, and um, you know, we often have this, uh, yeah, this like set way of doing things as well. I like to, like I'm speaking later in, in, in an office and I quite like to open up the, the um, conversation around, right guys, are you, you know, how, how, how do you eat? Do you listen to your body or, or is it all automatic because you have 12 to one or one till two as a lunch break every day and, and then you know you go home at 5 30 and, and everything is you know in cities and things it's all quite regulated so it's quite interesting to to try to break the mold when i speak publicly to people and think like right are you are you an automatic eater or are you a, an intuitive eater i know that's a completely different topic but um those are the interesting things where people can kind of just fall into line um in in, in certain situations because it's just everything else is 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 done um in the same way around them if that if that kind of makes sense so it's almost breaking through and like you said remaining in charge i like that a lot yeah and i guess another i think another way of thinking about that is how how conscious are we how aware are we day to day moment to moment of the decisions that we're making and as you say is it very autom- automatic or actually are we making a, a very conscious decision which is in alignment with our values and what we want in life. Mm, mm. Um, and, you know, that's a pretty, that's a pretty important conversation to have with clients and to have with friends and to have with family, because I think a lot of the time, because we are, as you say, pulled in so many different ways, we're juggling so many different balls, etc. Often when we're not in the moment we're not making a conscious decision about how we want to make some of these day-to-day decisions around diet around activity levels or whatever it may be um and i think if we want to really build resilience we have to start making more mindful decisions and and have a degree of awareness about what we seek in life Mm. no no i totally i totally agree i totally agree and i think yeah, if we move into maybe some some kind of uh, actionable information, you touched yeah. obviously a little bit on on the gut and uh, building diversity. I think it's obviously it's a topic that that people can fall into, and and you pick up these books now because there's so many out there that are that are pulling apart the microbiome. They are obviously very technical, but I think that that term just building diversity is something that 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 everyone can grab a hold of, um, and and often it's just speaking to people about you know how many at the end of the week how many how many different types of foods have you eaten is that is that a good place to start for people to think about just just you know loads of different types of foods in their diet yeah i think so i mean i i did a podcast with um ben brown at the end of last year and he did make a i think quite important point which is we're getting a little bit microbiome centric you know, everything is becoming about the microbiome. And, and obviously, there is an overwhelming amount of research showing us that it's incredibly important. But again, I think we're starting to to get so bogged down in this one thing without looking at the bigger picture. Mm. You know, you can't have a really diverse microbiome if you're not getting enough sleep or mm. if your emotional well-being is not in a good state, um, if you're chronically stressed, etc. So... I think 
there are a few things to consider and it's a great example of whereby the recommendations need to be a bit personalized at times you know if you give if you recommend someone with some general gut symptoms the recommendation of you know diversifying the diet and eating 30 different plant foods a week you could in theory exacerbate their symptoms mm-hmm. but if we were to assume that most of our listeners are you know generally healthy mm. I think the recommendation of eating a minimum of 30 different plant foods per week is a, is a useful goal. It's a little bit like the 10,000 steps a day. Mm. And people might criticize it a little bit, but ultimately it's helping people get more active day to day. And therefore, you know, it's, it's a positive thing in my book. Mm. But the idea behind this is that diversity in foods directly correlates with the diversity of our microbiome which directly correlates with the resiliency of our digestive system, our immune system. It's good for our cognitive system and our brain, potentially. It's good for the liver and the detox system. Mm. So there's, there's this ripple effect, I think, that takes place when we ensure that the ecosystem within the intestine is a diverse and stable one. So often people will talk about the microbiome being like the Amazonian rainforest. You know, any ecosystem is only a healthy, resilient one if it has a diverse range of species, of wildlife, of plants and shrubs, etc. And it's the same thing with our microbiome. And one of the ways we can achieve that is through diversity in plant matter. Mm. Um, So, you know, fruit, veg, whole grains, beans, legumes, lentils, pulses, nuts, Mm. seeds, herbs, spices. Mm. We really want to be consciously ensuring that we're getting these in on a daily basis. And over the week, it accumulates to more than 30. Mm-hmm. And I, yeah, I think people can obviously bring it back to that flexibility and physiology. And if it sounds like a lot to kind of start focusing on certain areas, then, you know, you do what you can day to day. And it's almost that 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 broad perspective on, OK, you know, if, if I can't control my sleep at the moment, maybe I can make inroads in my diet or, you know, if, if, if it's, if it's tough and I don't quite have the knowledge to prepare food and, and, you know, I'm sleeping well, can, can I, can I move a little bit more? Can I, you know, can I, can I get something outside of work that I enjoy? And like you said, it's, it is taking that broad perspective. And often when I do sit down with people and they're very critical about their own diets, because obviously they're, they're there to see me about, about their eating pattern. You also try to let them know that, you know, you're ticking a lot of other boxes in terms of, you know, I think people assume health is, you know, having this perfect diet. But then if they are moving regularly, if they're, you know, pain free, they're sleeping well, they have they have hobbies and interests outside of work. It's almost like, look, you've five out of the six things are great. We, we only need a few conversations and just you need to prioritize this area like you do the other areas. And, you know, things will be great. Yeah, definitely. I think that's a really good point around, you know, how critical are we being of ourselves? Yeah. Um, and taking that broader perspective, because one of the biggest obstacles or challenges I think I often see in clinic is clients who believe they have to just do everything at once. Mm. And I think it's not a realistic sustainable way of making change so yes i think you know what is perhaps one of the questions could be what do you feel is one of the interventions or areas in your life that if we can improve will give you the biggest bang for your buck and let's just start there Mm. Um, James Clear published a book at the end of last year called Atomic Habits, which I'm a, a huge fan of. And he talks about the science of behavioral change and building better habits. And he talks about how they need to be obvious, they need to be easy, yeah. and, they, and they need to be desirable. And I think sometimes we're trying to build a quote-unquote healthy habit but we don't actually view it as something that's desirable. We think it's something we should do because apparently it's healthy for us. Yeah, definitely. So again, I think it's ensuring that what we are trying to do to improve our health and lifestyle are things that actually we truly generally want to do that we're excited about doing because otherwise it's not sustainable. Um, So again, as you say, with this idea of food diversity, 
you don't have to focus on everything. Maybe you start by increasing your veggie intake and buying some different vegetables when you're at the supermarket shopping. So you mm. can break it down and make it as simple as required for the individual. And the more stress we are under, the easier it has to be because otherwise, obviously, we're going to just hit overwhelm a lot quicker. Mm. Mm. But you also bring up a really good point around the sort of inner critic aspect of, uh, I guess, human nature. Because one of the other ways of breaking down resilience, um, which is based on the work by the Institute for HeartMath, is into physical resilience, emotional resilience, spiritual resilience, and mental resilience. And what we know from the research is that mindfulness and self-compassion modify our resilience, their ways of improving it. So actually, self-compassion, which we can break down into mindfulness, self-kindness, and this term common humanity, meaning we all have baggage, put really simply. So there's this idea that when we're suffering, we generally can feel a bit isolated. Um, you know, we're very much focused on our suffering and forget that everyone mm. else has their own as well at different levels. So the idea here is that if we can bring some self-compassion into our life, which is being mindful of our inner dialogue, it's being kind to ourselves, and it's remembering that we're not alone, that in itself is improving our resilience. Mm. So I think that's a really important concept in its own right. You know, self-compassion is this sort of booming area of research which we're starting to understand can have a positive impact in lots of different areas of life and health uh, and I think it's a really important one so obviously mindfulness is a really hot topic at the moment and a lot of people are getting into yoga and meditation for, for obvious reasons and I think they're great tools to have to build our resilience mm. and self-compassion is uh, hot on the heels as Dr. Gurman will say of mindfulness and we're actually understanding that some of the benefits we get from mindfulness practice is self-compassion because mindfulness is a component of self-compassion. We can't be compassionate to ourselves if we aren't mindful to some degree. Mm. Yeah, just being, the more being reflective. Yeah. So I think, you know, that's a really interesting area because it takes it away from some of the other bread and butter parts of resilience, you know, appropriate levels of exercise is going to build resilience. We need a certain amount of endurance and we need a certain amount of strength to be, uh, to be in an optimal physical state, should we say. Yeah. And that is going to have an impact on our resilience from a, a physical perspective. Mm. But emotionally, I think that's probably one of the most important parts of resilience. You know, how emotionally resilient are we? And that comes back to our beliefs about the world, ultimately. Do we have flexible thinking or do we have really rigid thinking? Um, because, again, when we go back to this idea of health and resilience and allostasis being about flexibility and having the ability to adapt to the environment... Well, it's all very well and good if we can physically or physiologically adapt, but what mm. if we can't cognitively or emotionally adapt to the environment we're in? Mm. So actually, we need to also think about how flexible our thinking is and how can we adapt from that perspective. And that's one of the biggest things I think I see in clinic, people who have very rigid thinking about an aspect of nutrition or their health or a certain behavior. And we need to be able to have that flexibility because if we have rigid thinking, how are we gonna change our behavior? Mm. So we can break resilience down into, into four different areas. And I guess the, the physical side would include things around the microbiome and eating plenty of different plant matter. Mm. It would include the stress response and how we can kind of act or buffer the stress response which covers everything really that we're discussing, especially, I think, the thinking side of things. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah. And I think that's it. And it's you know, even though we, we're using the term flexibility and, and, and um, 
you know, being able to adapt. I think that that then breeds consistency, and and that is something that, as you know, the 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 best diet is something that you can stick to, or you know, instead of diet, let's just say average eating pattern, and then the the forms of exercise people maintain if they really enjoy it, unless they're you you get a few people that sign up and do things and and they just like to kind of go through painful situations like loads of crazy uh I don't know long distance events and things but a lot of the time you find people that are very comfortable with what they do and 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 you know they are they are consistent and they move in and out of little things they're not they're not extreme one end of anything and and um especially if we if we look at I don't know say you know my my dad's dad's generation he's he's now early 90s my granddad and he's just one of those just a bit of man, man of moderation and and he you know enjoys certain things he's been active he's you know eaten all these things over his life but I think there's been there's been nothing that has been radical about his behavior or there's there's no, there's no, it's it's interesting as I reflect on that because I think that that allows you to to kind of be healthy in a way because he's just enjoyed things and been been quite um open to to trying to trying new things in later life but then also just not taking anything too far and running with it and becoming kind of too obsessed over things but I don't know it's harder for maybe our generation now with social media and all that kind of thing they did they obviously haven't quite fallen into that um but I think I, I like that, not getting too obsessed over things and trying to be consistent with with an approach, but then also step back and understand what, what what's going on your end as well before you maybe dive into wanting to, to fix your gut. But, you, you know, you, you might already feel well in yourself. So there's no need to have to, you know, really push that area and let something else fall off because you feel like you have to do all these you know, new dishes or, or take loads of probiotics or do all those kind of types of things. Definitely. I think you and I have been reflecting on similar things recently, Matt, because I often look at my granddad. He passed away, I think, when he was 94, um, but was independent until then. You know, he was driving, he was living on his own. He mm. was able to have a completely, you know, um, compass conversation, etc. Mm. But he had fish and chips every Friday night from the local chippy. That was like his Friday evening ritual. Yeah. Um, he had friends that he played snooker with every Sunday. Um, he was a farmer most of his life, so he was active and outside most mm. of the time. Mm. He grew some of his own produce, so he was eating fresh, local, some of it, I'm sure, organic produce. Mm. And you, you just start to think about some of the extremes that we do see on social media and i think you do make the really good point around it's a different world especially when we have social media and how we're comparing ourselves constantly to other people's highlights of their lives yeah so i think we've got we've got new challenges now that necessarily well they weren't there um 50 years ago 15 years ago so we've got some new challenges, but I still think there's a lot that we can learn from from that generation and the flexibility that they had there. Mm. Um, because also, my mum my still says it to today, that my granddad just never complained. He was never wanting more than what he had. Mm. And I think that's such a brilliant quality that in itself can help contribute to health and a healthy life. Mm. Um, that constant need for something else or that constant feeling of lack of, mm. I think, can be problematic in its own right. Mm. Um, so whenever I feel a little bit overwhelmed or confused with all the stuff out there in nutrition, I actually just think about my granddad. And mm. I go, okay, let's just go back to the basics here. Mm. Make sure I'm moving, make sure I'm getting outside, eating a healthy, balanced diet. Mm. And you're kind of ticking all the boxes most of the boxes that are going to contribute to a long healthy happy life i think mm-hmm. and it's that full circle um, into self-compassion isn't it it's then you've you, you you seem to develop the ability to you know come back round and 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 sit back and think oh okay you know as, as work gets busier and, and and everything else takes takes a hold and especially we're doing what we do we do always second guess our own nutrition i think in a way because you're like oh i should be eating this way because i, I speak to people mm-hmm. on a daily basis about it and i think it's developing that ability to be robust as a practitioner too because then you can you can lose touch in yourself and then you're not you know you're not you're not good at your at your at your job so i think it is it is all underpinned with 
with that next step from from mindfulness into into you know self compassion so we can continue to be consistent with our you know our ability to mentor people or or, or discuss um you know the nuances in nutrition mm, yeah and i think as a nutritionist it's so important for us to to be able to detach as much as we can yeah. from our beliefs because we have to have a as much of a non-biased approach to this for our client's sake as possible. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I follow some really awesome guys. I listen to a couple of podcasts that they have, etc. But I won't name names, not that I'm going to be critical, but one of them is vegan. He's got to be one of the most intelligent, sort of empowered people that I know in, in some ways on the planet. But even some of these really intelligent people seem to be so blinded when it comes to nutrition like they it's kind of their way or the highway it's you know it's veganism or it's paleo and it can't be anything in the middle yeah um and i think we've just got to take that step back and appreciate that look a healthy human can thrive on all sorts of different diets at least in the short term um i was i don't do it very often but i was on a a Facebook group yesterday just reading some of the, the threads of the general public and there are a group of people who are on the carnivore diet at the moment oh, yeah. and they're doing it for gut they're doing it for gut reasons it's the only thing that's kind of helped them with their bloating and things like this for um, relatively obvious reasons um, from a nutrition perspective but it's not sustainable long term you know that's not something someone should be doing but you could feel great on it for a couple of months Mm. um and it's this idea that someone has to be vegan or has to be paleo or has to be keto Mm. and i think it's just again it's it's missing the bigger picture i've always tried to find a way to articulate it but I still can't really, but when I think of, if someone's to ask me what is, you know, really true, great, vibrant health, mm. firstly, I think we've got to appreciate that it's, it's energetic. So we are energy and I'm getting more and more interested in sort of the energy medicine side of things. Um, and I think the way I describe it is if it's free flowing energy. You know, it is that kind of Tai Chi master when you watch them move, that flowing movement Mm. without resistance, that flexibility. It's kind of a manifestation, I think, of what health is. Mm. So I think to be really vibrant in our health, we need physiological, emotional, spiritual, mental flexibility. Mm. That is fantastic. That's I think I think I think that that you know that if that doesn't define what resilience is you know I I, I don't know what does mate I think that's um yeah you've clearly done a, a ton of thought around this area and I think just touching back on like you said some of those diets and things often I meet people that I think you know they're 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 grabbing onto an eating identity because I think that that's what maybe in the short term they may think will I don't know almost lift them or make them slightly more interesting maybe not even to themselves but to other people around them or um yeah I think it's sometimes people do take take on those those ways of eating because they they use it to define them for a little bit not too many people but it's uh yeah it's interesting and if you know if people haven't heard of the carnivore diet before it's yeah basically just eating eating meat and and not really anything else so you can see how from a calorie restriction point of view it might be beneficial you can see how obviously if you're eliminating all the other foods you might feel better but again with anything they're, they're tools and yeah i don't see how long term um you know the, the 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 normal person would kind of maintain something like that but it is it is interesting to to read and and absorb information from people that are actually doing some of these things because we do read a lot about these diets but I'm you know I'm going to put my hand up to say I probably should experiment more often so I know a lot of the time what these things feel like it's more just theory to me or listening to other people's perspectives so you know it'd be interesting you know maybe I would if I if I went into eating meat for three four months straight you know I might have a different <laughs> different opinion but I think yeah staying staying uh staying kind of um consistent and not bringing in our own beliefs and and having biases practitioners really really important definitely when we work with people yeah and almost 
almost impossible. So that, that it's also appreciating that you know yeah. it's so hard to do, if not impossible. But we can certainly we can certainly do our best to ensure we're we're not doing it. Yeah. Um, and I th- I agree with you. The idea of sort of experimentation, uh, I think, can be a really valuable tool for the clinician mm. to uh, just have that little bit of experience. Because also from, I guess, a, you know, a recipe meal perspective, giving ideas to clients, if you have absolutely no sort of experience with even, let's say, vegetarianism or veganism, whatever, mm, mm. it's harder to work with the clients. And certainly in the past, I've, I've actually wondered whether I should refer vegetarian clients onto a different practitioner who's got more experience yeah. in that area, um, just because it's it's easier they're going to resonate more and have more ideas and things like this whereas now you know i'm well i've been periods of the last year completely pescatarian for example my mm. fiance is so it's just got easier to kind of go that way sure. um, i've recently started to bring a bit more kind of uh, animal products and meat into the diet again just to sort of see how the body responds mm. so i'm starting to kind of be curious about it mm. um and I think it's healthy. Again, you know, it's kind of, it's almost challenging your own beliefs and assumptions that you, you might not even realise that you have. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Um, and no, it's interesting. And I know you do quite a lot of training as well. So it'd be interesting to know how you feel when you do manipulate your diet, because especially when you're trying to lift that, that trap bar and, and do some of your, <laughs> some of your heavy, some of your heavy deadlifting, especially if you're starting to change the way you eat. And, and I think it's interesting because I, I do, I, in general, tend to stay quite quite good. I can step back and I don't Im- impress my own kind of way of eating on people. But I'm quite quick to tell people how to train, like I train. So I'm like, right, go and do this, go and lift this, go and do that. And I think actually I need to sort that out too, because again, not not everything that I do training wise is appropriate for the people I speak to. But yeah, right. I love I love that exercise, and I know I know that you do bits of that as well. So I'm always telling people to lift lift things heavy off the floor. Um, so. Yeah, I, I do think that is a fundamental requirement. I think everyone should be lifting something heavy off the floor. Yeah. And obviously, heavy is a relative term. Yeah. Um, but, you know, for longevity, we, we know that it can be really helpful. I mean, there are studies showing that grip strength is a something on the lines of it's it's it can help predict longevity. Mm, you know, mm, which mm. Strength is a fundamental component to this so we do need to be doing some sort of resistance training i think from that perspective and it doesn't need to be extreme but no. yeah we need to be pushing and pulling some stuff on a consistent basis shall we say mm, mm, mm. no i think i totally agree good oh and you, you've you've um you've given you've given everyone so many uh, resources and things so i've got atomic habits i'll put that in the show notes we've got your podcast obviously i'll put in the show notes but i'll highlight the one with ben brown and 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 the gut in there and yeah is there is there anything else you want to you want to let anyone um listening know obviously i'll put uh, your website your your instagram is is there anything that you're that you're working on that you want to let people know about or just generally they can reach out yeah, you can reach out to me on any sort of platform or go to the website and drop me an email. Um, I am working on a little sort of document around resiliency to finding these terms that we've gone through. So if people have been sort of intrigued by some of the concepts, but some of it's gone over their head, because I'm mindful that sometimes I'm a bit guilty of doing that, mm. then they'll be able to find this document on my website and have a little read. So it'll almost act as a, a follow-up to today's conversation, really. Cool, cool. Um, but no, I, I, think, I think we've gone through quite a lot. I think we've, we've hopefully given a nice overview of sort of resiliency and some of the, the things we want to be considering. But I think, you know, as, as long as, as well as all of the fundamentals around sleep and diet and exercise, um, the emotional cognitive flexibility that's required, I think is really important. And the other one that we haven't touched on yet that I just want to mention really, because it's in the research is, um, relationships. Mm. You know, we, I think it's safe to say we need to be within a strong supportive network to have good resilience. Mm. 
I don't think we can be alone and super independent and have great resilience spiritually, emotionally, physically, mentally. Mm. So relationships is the other really big part, I think, of this. And you need that support network, that tribe, mm. um, if you want to be as resilient as you can be. Mm. No, I totally agree. It's that concept of, you, you know, you're, you're the average of the five people you spend the most time with. And I think it's reflecting on that, you know, your partner, your family, your your best friends, often people that you might grow up with, but then, you know, they end up taking a bit of a different path than you, um, than you do. And it's it's understanding if those interactions and relationships and, and, and situations are positive for you. Um, and that takes a lot of courage, I think, as well. You know, I'm still, you know, late, late 20s, almost 30. It's hard for me to kind of speak to someone that's maybe twice my age around that because they've just generally had more time, more experiences on, on, on the earth than I have. But it's, uh, yeah, that that's an interesting one to, to speak to people about, you know, is this a positive or a negative relationship? But um, I think that's something to something good to, to leave the listeners with. Um, and I'm glad you brought it up as well, um, because again, it's uh, it's something where if they they want to they want to find out more, if they want to know where all this kind of fits, um, it'll be good for 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 you to um, yeah let everyone know when when you're producing that that information, however it's going to come out. So that now that sounds great. We've touched on so many um, yeah so many aspects of resilience, and um, yeah it's interesting. I need to think now. Um, what I'm going to call the show, <laughs> which is going to be really good. Obviously, when people are listening to it, I have a title by by, by then. Um, but yeah, it's a good one. Usually, it comes to me during during the the the, the show and and as we're recording. But I've got so many good quotes from you. I'm trying to think about what to what to call it. But I think that's that's Alex, that's, that's positive. Yeah, yeah. Alex's brain dump, maybe. Yeah, 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 yeah. Tune in for more. <laughs> No, great, mate. Thanks, um, thanks so much. And yeah, if if you haven't tuned into his podcast, lovely people, get on over there. It's uh, it's fantastic. And if you like a little bit more in terms of uh, yeah, just just in depth discussion on on nutrition, on health, the kind of lifestyle medicine piece, it's it's, it's something you shouldn't miss out on. So again, thanks very much for listening. Really, really enjoying doing this. We're up hopefully after this episode past seven thousand listens, which is really cool. So yeah, keep listening and um, enjoy your week. <laughs>